So uh, I'm excited about this morning for a number of different reasons. Uh, number one, because we're playing with this different microphone and it's going to feel weird. And uh, number two, uh, I've been in Oregon this week for the United Methodist General Conference. And uh, I left my iPad in Oregon, which is a great thing to do. Uh, so this morning, I want to show you guys that I'm, I'm preaching off of these stapled sheets of paper. Uh, and that's fun. So anyways, uh, good times. I don't know why I needed to share that with you, but there it is. So uh, hey, this morning we are starting a brand new series. It's called The Four Biggest Questions You've Ever Had About God. Here's, here's what this is about. Uh, a few weeks ago, you may remember, right after Easter, uh, we set up a box for questions from this community. Uh, we had it out in, the, out in the welcome area for a while. And, uh, and so these are the four questions that we're going to talk about for the next four weeks are the four questions that you've asked the most. We had a great feedback. We had dozens of questions come in. Uh, these are the four that were most prevalent, most uh, frequently occurring. And so uh, these are the questions that you have and that you're wrestling with, uh, and all of them are questions that I wrestle with too, and so I'm excited about this. Uh, What I want you to know going into this is that this is not an attempt to give you all the right answers. This isn't going to be an attempt to say like, well, here's how it is, you know, foot down, stomp, like, all right, we're done, Uh, and that's, that's all. These are all things that are very deep. Uh, some of these are very challenging, very challenging questions, maybe to our, our spirituality, to our personal walk with God. But what I want you to know is that they're great questions, and they're good things for us to wrestle with and to think about. And it's not so much about us trying to give the answer. It's maybe us trying to put up some fence posts, right, some boundaries through which we can understand these questions and, and how to relate to them even more. And so this morning we're going to uh, read two scriptures as we consider the first question, which was this. What did God do before earth. What did God do before earth? Uh, Another version of this question is like, who made God? What did God do before earth? Who made God? So we're going to, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 and then we're going to skip all the way ahead to John chapter 17 verse 24. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to open up to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, out by the canvas wall there in the back of the room, there are some Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible at home that you can read or understand, that's our gift to you. We'd love for you to take one home with you. Uh, It'll also be on the wall behind me. So we'll read from Genesis 1 and then we'll skip ahead to John 17. Before we do that though, can I pray for us? God, we are here. We give you so much thanks, God, for gathering us in this place, in this space, for kicking us out of bed this morning, and for bringing us here. And so, God, as we're here, we pray that you'd be here too. We pray, God, that your spirit would be showing up in this place, that, God, as we reflect on your word and on our lives, that you might be speaking something new and fresh into our lives, that you might be transforming us transforming this space and transforming this community to look more and more like you with every breath we take. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea. And God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light. And so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated light from darkness. 
God named the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning. The first day. And then shifting ahead to the Gospel of John, the 17th chapter, the 24th verse. Jesus said, Father, I want those you gave me to be with me where I am. Then they can see my glory, which you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So what did God do before earth? What did God do before earth? We see the story from Genesis that seems to indicate that God's around in some way, shape, or form. We, we see the story from John where, where Jesus talks about God loving before the creation of the earth. But what was God's activity? What did God do before the earth? The Bible doesn't have a, a ton to say about this, so we have to kind of look into some different ways to think about this. What, we're, what I think about when I think about what did God do before earth, I think about the idea of a prequel. Anybody know about prequels? Prequels, uh, if you go to the movies, uh, it's, a, it's a movie that even though it comes after the original movie, it was actually the, the events that take place in the movie happened before the events of the original movie. So a, a good example of a preview and prequel in my mind is this movie, Batman Begins. Anybody remember Batman Begins? This is a couple years old. Nobody remembers Batman Begins? No. Oh, okay, there's some. I was like, gosh, man, it's not that old. <laughs> I know I'm losing my hair, but maybe I'm losing my mind. And so uh, Batman Begins, a pretty good prequel, right? You get to see the story of, of Batman's character, how he unfolds, all that sort of thing. Sometimes prequels are really, really good stories. Other times prequels are not as good stories. Maybe you remember this movie. Uh, I, I personally was not a big fan of the episode one of Star Wars. I remember uh, I was in high school, uh, not unlike Megan and Victoria getting close to graduation, and this came out, and I left. Uh, I was taking an AP exam, and we left the AP exam and went and saw Star Wars episode one, and was so excited. It was going to be so good, and it was kind of a dud, right? Like, it was not... Uh, the greatest movie ever made. But that's okay. So sometimes prequels are great movies. Sometimes they're bad movies. Sometimes prequels tell a good story. Other times they confuse the story. And so this morning I want us to think about what does God's prequel look like? Because the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about this, so we're kind of constructing it after the fact, but we're looking back before the story of creation. So what does God's prequel look like? I think it really comes down to these two big questions that we have to consider. Two big questions if we want to think about what God's prequel looks like. The the first is this idea of who created God. Who created God? So so this is a tough question, and I'm going to break out the uh, trusty whiteboard here to to talk about this. So we're going to use some big words here this morning, and that's okay. Uh, So when we think about the idea of who created God, the the Bible doesn't speak to this, right? It's not not like God was made by uh, Chef Boyardee or, uh, you know, I don't know, what what was Chef Boyardee? Why was that the choice? Uh, (laughs) God wasn't made by some other entity. We just just sort of believe that God exists, that God exists. But in our minds, if you're like me, this is really hard to believe. Because there has, okay, so, so yeah, God creates the heavens and the earth, all that stuff, I get that. But, but what happened before that? 
You know, there, there had to be some time before that. Somehow God had to come into the picture. And, and this, is, this question, this idea, there's a big fancy word in philosophy and theology for this. This is called a katissiological limit. Okay? Katissiological limit. Everybody excited about, like, yeah, I can see like half the room's falling asleep right now, which is good. No, I'm kidding. It's, uh, this is good. So catissiological limit means that we are made in a specific place in time and that we each bring to the table our own specific understanding of time and place. And it places a limit on our understanding. So here's how I'd illustrate this. So if you think about, uh, this is a, a whiteboard, so we're going to draw two points up on the whiteboard. So we've got point A and point B, okay? Everybody can see that. Um, so if you start talking about how to get from point A to point B, you know, you, there might be a couple ways you can do this, right? You, you have the straight line approach where you can get there. You could go around the back way to get there. You could take some sort of crazy, oh, I'm all over the place kind of way to get there, right? Point A to point B. But but here's the thing about each of those directions. They all go on the board, right? They're all two-dimensional. You know, for me to go, whether it's going in the straight line, going in some kind of curvy line, whatever it is, it's all staying within the limits of the board. Now, would there be another way for me to get from point A to point B? Anybody have any ideas about that? Do what? Up, over, and down? So like, sorry, you can hear me breathing. That's weird. Uh, so like up, over, down, like that? Oh, like off the board. So like moving into a third dimension, yeah, yeah. So if you lift your pen off the board, suddenly there's a different way to get from point A to point B, but it requires you entering into kind of a different dimension. So I've been reading this guy, his name's Hugh Ross. He's, a, he's an evangelical astrophysicist. How cool is that title? Evangelical astrophysicist. And so what Hugh Ross proposes is that, what's that? There you go, Dr. Lederman, that's right. Um, so what Hugh Ross proposes is that there is a multidimensionality to God. You know, multidimensionality to God. So that in order for us to have a concept of time, for us to have a concept of like a beginning and an ending, that had to be created at some point too. And his argument is that at some point in the story of creation, God in God's self creates what we know to be time, but that all time, the idea of eternity, has existed for all of eternity, right? That we think of eternity often as a future thing, like where are you going to spend eternity, right? That's a question you hear in church sometimes, but, but his idea is that eternity is not just the future, it's the past, and that everything that has happened before and everything that happens now and everything that will happen in the times to come is all a part of who God is all a part of God's identity, and that nothing has created God. God has simply existed, but it is God who's responsible for the creation of time, and God who's responsible for our concept and our understanding of what that might look like. So who created God? Nobody. God has existed always throughout eternity. This is, this is something that I would believe. So then if the first big question was who created God, then there's a second big question which is what was God's pre-earth activity? In other words, what's God been up to? What was God doing before the creation of the world? And that's where we get to that passage in the Gospel of John. I want to read it to you just one more time. It's fairly simple, 
fairly straightforward, but really important. It says, Father, I want those you gave me to be with me where I am. Then they can see my glory which you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. You loved me before the creation of the world. You see, my friends, while Scripture doesn't have a lot to say about God's activity, pre-creation, it has that to say. You loved me before the creation of the world. What was God's activity before the earth? What's God been up to? This is what God's been up to. God is love. God's been love from before our minds could ever expect it. God will continue to be love far beyond our greatest imagination, our greatest picture of what eternity and the future could look like, what it has been, what it is, what it will be. God will continue to be love then and now and always. And if we want to find ourselves in motion with God, if we want to find ourselves in motion with how God is and who God is and, and that idea of creation, the idea that God continues to create in the world around us, in our lives and in, in the lives around us, then in my mind, we're called to a place of love. This is really hard sometimes. Because the thing is, sometimes we have different perspectives. I talked about this, those big multidimensionality and catissiology and all that stuff. Like some people get down with that and are all about intellectual kind of things. Other people want to feel faith, right? There's intellectual faith. There's the, the feeling like there's something different that happens. Uh, this week uh, when I was in Oregon, we were given these paper construction paper cutout cards that children at a church in Charlotte, North Carolina had made for homeless people in Portland, Oregon to go and give a card to somebody that says you are loved by a young child that there's a different feeling that comes with that right there's the feeling of faith sometimes we we get into other things we we have other aspects of our faith our personal faith our community faith we have all of these different parts and all of these different pieces and sometimes the way that we practice is different from the way that she practices or he practices or they practice and it's all different and it's all a jumble and it can all be a mess until you come back to this central idea that God is love God is love no matter what, God is love. I wonder how that could change us if we really stepped in line with that. If we said, no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter who you love, no matter what you think, no matter what degrees you have, what certificates you have, what titles you have, that you are loved by God, that you were loved by me. God is love. It's the story before creation. It's the story now. And it's the story for the rest of all eternity. And I believe, my friends, that if we can see past the things that divide us and come to the places of things like this that unite us, that the world around us will change. As John Wesley said in a sermon a long, long time ago, he said, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike. Though we 
may not be of one heart, or excuse me, may we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion. Friends, God's love is as simple as a straight line, as complex as a crooked line, as mind-blowing as a different dimension. And yet, it is the truth of God's identity now and then and always. So how can we discover God's love in the world around us? What does it look like for us to be co-creators with God? To see God's love, not just in our space, not just in our hearts and lives, but to see the kind of love that changes the world. To see the kind of love that says no matter where you are on the political spectrum, no matter where you are on the life spectrum, theologically, all those different things, what does it look like to simply love? It's something that created us, right? That's the story of creation speaks and says that we were created out of God's love for us. And it's what can create an incredible world around us. God is love, then, now, and always. Thanks be to God. Amen.